that person's not wasting your time because they don't need to have that value and they don't need to have that value with you. It does become you're wasting your own time because you know that you're involved with someone that doesn't want what you want. Wow. Like that's the... Is that self-sabotage? Hello, lovely humans, and welcome to That Exciting, the podcast. I'm your host, Yancy, and today we're talking about queer dating. Queer dating is fairly new for me. Some members of the community would consider me a baby gay, so thanks to Urban Dictionary for bringing that definition. Baby gay, someone who has just come out of the closet recently. One to two years is the time spent of when someone could be qualified as baby gay. In a sentence, my friend came out yesterday, she's a baby gay. Long story short, I kind of always knew I was queer, but life happened and I was unable to explore that part of myself for quite some time. And I was able to go back on that self-discovery journey, I'd say late 2019, early 2020. If my dating life had a resume card, it would have an F. No lie, the overall score of my dating life is not that great and I have to take accountability here. Like it's really easy when you're dating to point fingers at other people when things don't work out, but have you taken that time to look in the mirror and examine your shortcomings? And if you haven't listened to last week's episode, which is Anchor Islands and Wave, where I talk about attachment theory with Lucille Shackleton, I highly recommend it because once I got familiar with what my attachment style was, I got to one, understand why I'm attracted to a certain type of people, which for me was not fulfilling. And two, it helped me analyze my behavior and also where self-sabotage may come into play when dating. And self-sabotage is something I talked about near the end of the episode with today's guest, Ariella, aka The Queer Dating Coach. Queer Dating Coach Ariella Soror is on a mission to disrupt traditional dating advice and transform the dating pool into one we enthusiastically want to jump into. In her practice, she helps kind queer folks navigate the dating landscape so they have the courage to go after what they want in their dating life without feeling overwhelmed or exhausted. If you want to learn how to date or date better, she'll help you understand what you want and how to talk about it. So dating becomes an enjoyable process and satiating part of your personal growth journey. Ariella is a certified life coach, a registered yoga teacher, and is currently receiving a graduate advanced certificate from Columbia's University School of Psychology in sexuality, women, and gender with a concentration in LGBTQ issues. And without further ado, enjoy today's episode. So hi, Ariella. Super happy to have you on. Hi. And topic of queer dating. I think it's a topic just dating in general. It's uh, it's something that we need to talk more about and specifically catering to queer people. Yeah. Super happy to be bringing that conversation on the podcast question I ask all my guests is what are your sexual green flags? For the new listeners, sexual green flags are indicators that you'll have pleasurable, consensual and safe sex. They really vary from people to people. They can be conversational, intellectual, physical, sensorial stimulations, turn on triggers, etc. I was talking about this on my Instagram a little bit yesterday, but I am definitely someone that needs to have a sense of what someone's like before deciding to have sex with them 
at least in this moment. Um, I didn't always feel that way. Um, and now that I'm older and wiser, um, I need to have a real sense of like someone's energy, how they treat people, like a general sense of what they care about. Um, so and maybe these are kind of abstracty green flags when it comes to sex. But for me, like if we're out for a drink, like how someone treats the bartender or waiter is a sexual green flag for me. Um, how they ask follow-up questions to things I share or don't share is a sexual green flag for me. How they respect boundaries if it seems like I don't want to talk about something is a sexual green flag for me. So it's all the stuff that happens in the communication space before getting into a sexually intimate space. Does that sound like similar to what other people say or are people like, ah, oh, the way they touch my... There are so many different questions. That's why I'm asking people that. Somebody that's willing to receive as much as they like to give. I need to be emotionally and intellectually stimulated when you have this connection where you can talk about even the, the most random thing, but have this deep curiosity. Being for somebody who's neurodivergent, understanding sensories and yeah, boundaries, and just having this, this space to feel safe. I think my sexual green flags will include great music, dancing, or something like that. Everything that can it makes me feel like this isn't a test or that I should perform. If we can let ourselves joke around, listen to some music, dance or sing, I feel like it's a way to prepare yourself to be vulnerable with the other person and it gives you a great idea of whether or not you can enjoy the physical relationship. Caring about one's body, it can be birth control and getting tested and having that conversation with your partner and also someone who is communicative about their preferences and likes and someone who asks what the other person likes and what brings them pleasure. I think feeling safe is a big one too, actually. Um, I talk a lot about like going into dates with a set of feelings-based standards versus like what, we, what we've been taught about society's standards of what we should be looking for in relationship. Um, and I think sussing out for a feeling of safety around someone is really important when it comes to sex also. So whoever said that, I'll steal that one too for my answer. <laughs> Can you explain on what you just said on how you go about dating yeah. while defying what we've been told? Yeah, I, I am like, I'm just, I'm very suspicious about what media has shown us is attractive. What media has shown us is, um, are supposed to be standards in relationship. I think that, um, it's very hard to kind of suss out our own feelings about things and people when we're operating with checklists that we've been taught instead of checklists that we're really like sensing out for ourselves. So I talk to my clients about something called feelings-based standards. So it's having more of an idea about how you want to feel around the people that we're coming into contact with and then sussing out for those feelings on the date and after the date. Sometimes it's hard to tell how we're feeling when we're on a date itself but um, if, if, that's, if that's not um, a practice that you have of being like, oh, how am I feeling in this moment? Then it's something that we can feel for after so that we're deciding um, how a date's going based on how we're actually feeling and the experiences that we're actually having versus um, just thinking about, oh, I like this person's shirt or, um, you know, any other kind of societal thing that we've been taught to to look for feeling like oh that i'm supposed to go further because that person was nice i paid for dinner it doesn't need to go beyond that everything is a bonus afterwards but um just if i feel safe and if i feel comfortable and just if if i'm really vibing this or not yeah totally it's just mm -hmm. kind of like how we feel around the people that we surround ourselves with is the most important thing and it's odd to me that that's not how we're taught to suss out relationships 
we're trying to completely for, forget about our boundaries and how we feel. Yeah. I think kids are the most intuitive and the most intuitive little humans. And whenever you're like, I don't want to give a, a hug to like this aunt or I feel uncomfortable. And, no, yeah. go ahead. Go ahead. Give give a hug. Totally. You're supposed to be cordial. You're supposed to be this. So I think it, it, it goes back from far. Totally, totally. And I've loved like, I've been on such strange TikToks last night. I don't know how I got on the TikToks I was on. I literally was like, who is curating this? This is random. <laughs> um, but sometimes I'm on random parenting TikTok and I love the conversations that are changing around parenting. Not that I was ever part of the conversations before. I don't have any children. Um, but I'm just like, oh, this, you know, definitely feels different from what we were taught when I was younger. So um, I'm obsessed with the like giving kids their agency over their body starting at a super young age so that when we when it comes time to be adults and to have sex with people or anything else, we are prepared to listen more to ourselves than to anybody else. Absolutely. And to advocate for your boundaries and not, you know, feel like you have to people please or feel like it's a societal norm, which is a cultural totally. norm to totally negate how uncomfortable you feel in the moment. Just to give a kiss to your aunt that have a stinky breath. Right, right. Yes, completely. Is there types of daters? Oh, that's another. That's another question. I know it sounded like. (laughs) I know it sounded like I was gonna go further, but I I was like, "What's coming next?" Um, Okay, are there different types of daters? Mm -hmm. Um, And what are they? If there is different types. Tell me, tell me more about what you mean by that question. I I categorize daters into two main types in my head, but that's something that I Mm. like made up. So like, t- tell me, tell me more. And if not, then I'll answer. Right. So you know what, what you, how you have like personality tests to see like if you're the uh-huh. person that has a lot of solutions or the person that's more like, you know, in the tech, <laughs> is there like the player, the, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that's interesting. And not for me, like not in my, um, I feel like some astrology queers would be like, yes, every different chart is a different dater. Oh, um, oh my God. Right. So I feel like that might be the answer to this sometimes, but um, no. And I don't find that like, I don't categorize people in that way because everybody's experience is so nuanced, but I will tell you one overarching theme that I find in dating and it's how people show up on first dates and whether they are someone that leans in on a first date, so whether they're really focused on the other person liking them, or whether they're someone that leans back and kind of has their arms crossed above their chest being kind of like, impress me. Like I've been in the dating game too long, and I'm feeling kind of jaded. Um, You need to match up to this very specific checklist I have. Neither of those are really the best space to create relationship, regardless of what the relationship is. Relationship can be a one night stand, but neither of them are really the best ways to show up to allow relationship to form or connection to form. Is there any other things that could fall under the, you know, I'll label this as a dating etiquette. So you have the leaning and the, the, like a a push pull type thing, right? Yeah. Or conversation, like an openness and a curiosity that those kind of feel like the things that need to be in the mix there. Yeah, to make you an enjoyable time, not just yeah. a, a performance. Like or... That's the goal. Like that, that to me is the goal and the goal for my clients. It's not, there are a lot of dating coaches out there that are like, I'm going to help you find your person. I'm going to help you like, I'm preparing you for the best relationship of your life. While what I do would prepare you for a great relationship because there's a lot about communication, I I actually just want us to enjoy the process more because I think that's if we enjoy the thing that we're doing, we'll be able to sustain the thing we're doing. 
So I'm not like super goal oriented in what I'm guiding you toward, because I think that what, if we're too focused on what we're being guided toward, that's also like super influenced by society. It doesn't necessarily feel applicable for a lot of people's dating goals. So I'd rather us be able to monitor how we are growing individually on our individual dating journeys, how we remain open to connection and how we can enjoy the process of dating so that it doesn't feel like this miserable up and down roller coaster that is hopeless, that it feels like oh, this is something that brings joy into my life, even if I'm not finding the relationship that I'm hoping to be finding. Also with approaching dating with the end goal in mind and just having that escalator um, yeah. dating thing, I think it jades people's perception as to are you really falling in love with the person that you're getting to know or are you right. falling in love with the potential that hey this is what i want and that person's gonna like that person fits the role totally the relationship escalator or escalator relationship escalator thing as you'll hear me say throughout the episode is and now i'm quoting an article from greatest.com the relationship escalator expects air quote valid end quote relationships to follow this order dating then becoming sexually and emotionally monogamous defining the relationship moving in together getting married combining income purchasing property having children and being together happily ever after when I say Jade's people's perception, I think I should have brought more nuance. There is the escalator mindset, which you get to know someone and who they are and build on a communal timeline. Then there is the escalator illusion, where you have this end goal in mind and mostly see that person through the potential and are projecting your relationship goals onto that person and placing that person into that role. And guess what? Putting people in roles they didn't audition for in the first place makes you feel like you wasted your time and also that you got played but in reality you played yourself yup the tea is hot totally i think that's where it becomes super super important to be calibrating how you're feeling as you go but yeah i completely agree how do you manage expectation while dating for for me personally i i've been someone that has like historically gotten into relationships when i'm not looking for them i had never been someone that has too many expectations when it comes to dating because i do enjoy the connecting with people so that that always felt like enough for me like this experience is what i'm seeking and if it evolves into something that's longer term, um, so be it. But it's, and also I feel very confident in who I am and what I bring to the table as a partner, as a sexual partner, as a single date. I don't think that my expectations of like falling for someone has ever been too tumultuous unless I've really lost or feel out of touch with like my own sense of worthiness in a, you know, given season, which has happened. But um, overarchingly, like in my dating life, I don't operate with a whole lot of expectations. I'm like, we're here to see if this is meant to be a thing, anything. That sounds really secure. Yeah. Are you talking about attachment secure? Yes. <laughs> yes, I'm talking about attachment styles. Yes. It is secure in my sense of self. Mm -hmm. um, it gets a little trickier once someone, uh, like once intimacy is actually in the mix. Um, I, I, I've skewed toward avoidant, um, but have 
been in therapy for over a year related to that now that I'm in a relationship. But um, in some ways, it's very secure. And at that phase, it's secure. As intimacy gets further progressed, then I can have some other tendencies creep in. But... (laughs) I saw a meme this. Uh, I saw a meme the other day saying, "When people ask you to open up, like it's just been four years, like give it time." <laughs> <laughs> I really felt called out. They did. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, I'm not quite that dramatic, but like almost. Um, I'm much more comfortable getting other people to open up than opening up myself. But that's Same. a tendency I'm noticing and working on. And. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it also shows in just the work we do. <laughs> totally, totally, absolutely. And I think it's also a bit of a protecting, me- I mean, all of it's protecting mechanisms. So none of it's like wrong or bad. Um, but I think that if you're someone that goes on a lot of dates, it's like I am, it's kind of um, a safer way to show up is to get to know the other person and to not share a whole lot. Like I don't I don't share anything deep on a first date about myself by any means. And and the other person doesn't need to either. It's kind of like I mean it's weird to compare to a first therapy session, but my take on therapy is that you should be interviewing three people at least and that you're allowed to keep your cards close when you start therapy before you see if you trust someone. Like this is just because you're paying someone does not mean that you need to be unloading the depths of your experience onto someone else because you don't know how they're going to respond to that. And you don't know if you can trust them with that information. You don't know if you like their style of communication. So I think that in general, we can have a slower, um, a slower process of feeling each other out. To me, that that feels sustainable. If I'm going to be dating a lot, I, I don't want to unload my things onto people. That's not what I want to bond over. And I don't feel like I'm being a responsible dater if I allow you to unload too much onto me because I don't know if I'm sticking around. So all of it is kind of like we can go slow and feel for a connection, but this does not need to be like, oh, this is all of my, this is all my shit. Let me, and and even like I I talk to my clients about it. Like I, if I'm on a first date with someone and I hear them, I, I hear them mention something that might be hard or difficult in their life. I won't. I just want to ask about it. I can see they're having a response to this and that they mention this like really difficult thing from their childhood. And like, I don't need to ask more about that in this moment. If they, if they keep bringing it up and it's like, it seems like you want to talk about this thing. Um, But beyond that, it's like, we don't, we don't need to do that yet. That's interesting. Very responsible because I've heard a lot through my friends that, because uh, I'm fairly new to the queer dating scene, that it's kind of a queer signature move to just... Mm-hmm. To trauma bond is what they... Oh, it's trauma bonding. Well, that's what people call it, like, casually. Okay, okay. Because I thought, like, trauma bonding is when you go through, like, trauma with someone, like, in toxic relationship, you go through trauma with that person, and then it, it solidifies the bond because you had that experience okay that might be the real definition i think this is like the casual like what people call this casually but that's probably that sounds very real this is like the kind of like ah, we were trauma bonding like we shared our traumas yeah we shared our trauma so sometimes we think that what we're sharing is vulnerable and it's actually not or sometimes the other person can think that what we're sharing is vulnerable when it's not so i think that we're like the more colloquial trauma bonding i'm putting my hands in quotes um version can come up on dates is like when people are talking like a very natural thing to talk about on queer dating is like your coming out story your your queer journey Mm -hmm. where 
if someone else were hearing the conversation, they might be like, wow, this sounds like a really intense conversation. If you're a queer person and this was like in the past or whatever, like we're all at varying stages of like how emotional this feels. Like my parents were weird when I came out. It doesn't feel vulnerable to share that, right? Like it's mm-hmm. the, so other people listening in might be like, oh, that, that sounds, you know, whatever it is. For me at this point, I'm like, that's fine. Like this feels like I'm telling you my name. This doesn't feel like something vulnerable. So I think that like in sussing out this like trauma bonding, it's like, okay, what's actually, if you're sharing hardship from your past, that doesn't feel hard. It feels like, yeah, this is part of my makeup and this, you hearing this about me doesn't, doesn't make me feel vulnerable. It's just like mm-hmm. you're having a situation, which I think that a, a lot of times, not all the time, obviously, but a lot of times coming out journeys can be part of that conversation topic where it's like, this doesn't actually feel vulnerable to share anymore, maybe depending on, you know healing and how far in the past it was. Um, but it's not, it feels safer to share, even if it's serious, even though it's on a first date. So that's kind of like an exception to the, like what actually feels vulnerable and what feels like, man, it's just part of my past. I'm really curious about being a dated co- dating coach. So when people hear like dating coach, what do they think? And what is their vision of what it is different from what actually your work is? Yeah, actually, I think people think that I'm like hitch. So what I do is not related to pickup. It's not related to like, okay, you're going on a date. This is what you should be doing when your date walks in. Like, no, I don't do any of that. This is about like, how do you show up as you? How do you communicate who you are? Like, how do you find people to date? How do you put yourself out there on your dating app profile? So it reflects you so you can have the greatest success at initiating conversation in spaces like that. It's not like, okay, let me examine like what pictures you're choosing and how you're dressing on your first dates. That's too, like, as if I'm the painter of your dating journey. You're the, you're the painter. I'm just like, here, use this brush. Would you go over their profile? Yes, I'll go over their profile with them, but I won't be like, take a picture in a red shirt because red is scientifically what no all that shit makes me so mad i am just like why are you i mean there are dating coaches that are like being a photo with someone who's less attractive than you so that you seem more attractive like like that's some of the dating coaching industry is really it really rubs me the wrong way what i do is like how can we let you shine how can we let you communicate in the way that's most natural to you, help you find people that are aligned for you and what you're looking for. Not how can I teach you psychology tricks to get people into your sphere more. It's not not about that. And I think that that's like where the dating coaching industry can be really messed up. It's, It's not dating authentically. Yes. And it's also not taking any critical look at where these things came from. And I think that that's really important and I think it's easier as a queer person to see all the holes in like heteronormative dating coaches or straight dating coaches. I mean, there are queer things that are heteronormative, but it's it's really easy to see the plot holes of this. Or to be like, okay, obviously you're saying that because you think everybody's supposed to get married. Where like as a queer person or a non-monogamous person, it's like none of that is applicable to a lot of people. And that's why I got into this because it's like what I do can be applicable to anybody hopefully, right? That's my goal. Um, and I, I am doing a lot of work around like inclusion. What a lot of straight dating coaches do is not applicable to queer people or trans people. So, or non-monogamous people. So it's, it's like the square is a rectangle, a rectangle is not a square, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. you know? So, so my hope is that it's what I do can really work for anybody that it's more universal 
and that we can change the dating pool by dating more authentically and not having like, okay, this is the one line that you need to say to this person. It's like, no, what, what, what do you want to say? What do you like when people say to you? Because it feels very scripted mm-hmm. when you think about it. Yeah. And then you're going to get rejected because of a version of me instead of a version of you. Mm. And then what's the point? Then you don't know if you would have cooked with this person or not because you're taking my words. I'd rather you find your own words and then I'll tell you how I think that might land and we can craft it together. But you have to be the start of that. You have to be the centerpiece. It has to be led from you and your values. That's beautiful. Glad you like it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You've mentioned uh, non-monogamous people. Yeah. That sounded weird. (laughs) It sounded weird the way I said it. But you've mentioned people that are in non-monogamous lifestyles i'm wondering have you ever coached people that are non-monogamous and were they already in relationships but were looking to date yeah i have and people sign up for my program and they know that they're non-monogamous yeah i am non-monogamous so i have a big space in my heart and my brain for other non-monogamous folks and really value that part of like that relationship orientation or dating orientation so i want to make sure that those folks also feel equipped with the tools that they need that's not pushing them toward a particular outcome that doesn't resonate with them. And to also like, you know, when I'm talking about like, I don't have that many expectations on dates, because I'm really confident in myself and all that kind of stuff. Like that sounds all great in theory, and like cool pitch for me. But like, it's also about understanding like the the ups and downs in that individual journey. And the like, I'm scared shitless if I'm going to approach a stranger too. I just do it. It's figuring out how to do things even if you don't feel like you have the courage to do them. So it's also about like the humanity of it and the imperfection of it and the perseverance and the sustainability of it. It makes you grow so much. Also, as you said earlier, as when you do something authentically, you know, okay, maybe that didn't land. What can I improve? What can I work on? But if you're putting on a show and it's not truly yourself, how do you evaluate? Yes, how do you evaluate I think I'm so obsessed with dating because it's such a growth journey and relationships too. I mean, if I weren't in a relationship, I wouldn't be in therapy. Like, I mean, not that my partner in therapy, but my partner Alyssa did in me. That was that came off very interesting. Um, but I under I, I understood what you mean. Yeah, with the Alyssa in me, like in my own personal growth journey, is really powerful, and mm-hmm. I need support in sorting that out. You know. But I wouldn't I wouldn't be tasked with that if I weren't in such a great relationship. When you're with someone that makes you feel like you're the best version of yourself. Mm-hmm. It's so much fun because you see, oh, my God, I have so much to learn. And it just it, it leads with curiosity rather than scarcity or, yeah. you know. Totally. And also, like, I, I mean, I'm definitely with someone that makes me feel like the best version of myself. But I'm also with someone who makes me realize when I'm not the best version of myself, not because they're calling me out or anything like that. It's just that I'm able to recognize my own okay, like I would rather be able to respond to a situation like this. So I can be the best version of myself for this person. Um, So it's illuminating in the, (laughs) my own knowledge gaps as well. What about your dating life? Do you talk about your dating life on this show? Uh, (laughs) Put you on the spot. Talk about your dating life, Yancy. To truly answer your question, Uh my dating life right now is non-existent because I'm not putting effort into it. Also, because I'll be honest, I associate dating with the escalator um, visions. I'm like, I don't want to be in a relationship right now. 
I'm not looking for that. So I'm not opening myself up to no people. I mean, that's also a really valid place to be in your dating life, right? Like, especially if you're someone who people really easily connect to, um, or if you're someone that can so easily find yourself in a relationship and you're not feeling ready, sometimes the only option feels like, okay, I have to close this. I have to shut the whole operation down or it's going to move too fast. So something that I'd like to try is just, you know, put myself out there and just to embrace connections without having an ending point without we're going to be in a relationship, just enjoying people's company. But I feel it comes with tremendous amount of guilt on my end. Cause I'm like, what if that person gets attached? What if, you know, I'm responsible for a heartbreak or how do you mitigate that? Like I just shut myself off. I don't want to be responsible of hurting people. Sure. Can I offer uh, an alternative? Yeah, absolutely. I totally hear what you're saying. And these are really normal questions to have as it relates to dating. The what ifs that you're mentioning are also like a hundred yards ahead of where you are, Mm -hmm. right? Like what if I break someone's heart? What if I'm responsible in this way where first date, these things are not on the table. Like this is like, we're projecting pretty far into the future for these, these what ifs to happen. Really normal. Um, also what anxiety sounds like, um, but (laughs) I mean, me too, but it's, that's kind of like the definition of getting caught in the Mm. questions of the future instead of the realities or opportunities of the present. So one, one thought, but the other thing I would say, I too have dated when I felt, I mean, I've dated a lot when I've felt unavailable for relationship. Um, so my, my own way of mitigating that is to be really clear about what I'm available for or not available for either before meeting up with someone or when I'm meeting up with someone so that they're not having the false sense of a trajectory that I don't feel like I'm able to step onto in this moment. Right. Also, I guess I've heard a lot of my friends mention disclosing that disclaimer, hey, I'm unavailable for dating. But then again, there's always someone uh-huh. that ends up falling or, you know, having more interest than what the initial thing was. Yeah, totally. I mean, that my my relationship, my current relationship came out of a situation like that where I was like, I'm not available for relationship. I just got out of something. It was just like, I have to trust that you're going to be responsible for you. If you realize at a given point in time that this arrangement is not working for you or there's something else that you need and I'm not able to satiate that, then you need to take accountability here and there. And that's kind of like where we need to where we need to trust other people to be able to take care of themselves in that way. And I can't if I'm being clear about my own limitations, that's all I can really do. If they choose to still engage with me, that's not on me. That's that they're getting something out of this. And I know that. And that might be enough for them. So it's not on me to monitor how how they're doing unless I'm really noticing a huge discrepancy between like what they're saying and how they're acting. Right. And then it's time to have the conversation and probably reassess. Yeah. And, and we had that too with my partner and I when we were dating. I was just kind of like, I feel like you want this to move faster. I'm not ready for that. And they would just be like, I am okay with where we're at. What I did tell them in that case, though, since we had dated for a, a chunk of time, I was like, if I ever feel like I don't like if I ever have the information that I know I don't want to be in a relationship with you, I'll tell you. So that was kind of the agreement we had. But I was just kind of like, this This might lead to a relationship, but it will take me a while. And it did. I might not put that in the episode, but that's what I'm hearing is the same thing that happened to me with the person I dated. And I'm, uh-huh. I'm like, oh. Which part? Which part's making you like that? 
just that we might not end up in a relationship because I think I have the the elevator mindset so much instilled. Uh-huh. I'm like, why are you wasting your time with me then? And I've said that numerous times with people I dated. You're wasting my time, uh-huh. which is not true because I'm learning and we're just exchanging and we're connecting. I mean, it's it might have something to do with me and just my perception with I think it is actually like, why are you staying if you feel like, you know, I'm waiting? Little precision. That part was me talking to myself. Why, Yancy, are you staying if you feel like you're waiting? Yes, because then it becomes, there's two things here. Your idea of the relationship escalator that you're kind of clinging to, for better or for worse. Like, it, you can cling to that. Like, this is, a lot of people do, and cling feels dramatic. Like, that's a very valid life goal and mm-hmm. dream. So if that's what's interesting to you and important to you, that's great that that's your priority. The other thing is, is staying in a relationship with someone who does not share that value and who, or who might not share that value with you. So then that's where the mismatch is. But then it becomes that person's not wasting your time because they don't need to have that value and they don't need to have that value with you. It does become you're wasting your own time because you know that you're involved with someone that doesn't want what you want. Wow. Like that's the... Is that self-sabotage? Wow. (laughs) Because it it sounds like it a little bit. Well, I think a really interesting thing about avoidance, if you do skew toward an avoidant attachment... Sometimes we'll stay with the people who we know we won't end up with because it's easier than getting attached to someone where we might actually feel vulnerable and end up with them. Mind blown, right? (laughs) (laughs) I fucking know. I fucking know. When I read that, I was literally like, I have never felt so deeply called out in my whole life than I do in this moment. So passing it along to you. That's a very good example of an uncomfortable conversation that we need to have with ourselves and, you know, with our therapist or friends. First off, to understand how we function and then analyzing it, processing it and see what do we want and how can we improve the situation where we feel unfulfilled. We need accountability for our journey. We need accountability for our unfulfillment. And we're as much a part of the equation. So that really goes hand in hand with having a look at yourself in the mirror and examining where your shortcomings are, how you contribute to your own unfulfillment, and also knowing what you can bring to the table, right? So I still stand with what I said in regards of dating. I'd love to learn just to connect and take away this pressure, the escalator illusion pressure, right? I just want to learn how to connect with people with no expectations and we'll see how it goes. And Ariel is at it best. Dating is such a growth journey. Sometimes it triggers wounds that you thought were healed up but apparently they're not humans are fascinating honestly like self-sabotage is is fascinating we believe that we're being played but we're actually playing ourselves so that's a journey and i'm happy to take you with me do you have any book recommendation or resources for people that want to learn more about dating or like books on dating deeper dating by ken page is an interesting dating book um i i really like a lot of what he says unlonely planet by jillian richardson is about like more creating connection and i'm about to read kat velos's uh book about creating connection and friendship as well i don't love a lot of other dating books to be honest Um, I think it upholds too much of what I'm trying to dismantle. Oh, uh, two other books that take it for what it's worth. When I told my partner that if they wanted to be in a relationship with me, they had to read two books. And that those two books are The Ethical Slut and Mating in Captivity by Esther Perel. 
Awesome. Can you tell us more about the Queer Dating Bootcamp? So it's a six-week program and it goes over everything that you would need to know in order to learn how to date or date better. And whatever is not covered in the modules is covered in the group coachings where you can just ask me anything or work through your specific situation as it relates to the modules. Anything that feels tricky, I'm here to help you in that process. And also a community of people are also there to help you. So I just finished another round of it. Oh, yeah. And I also had a guest lecture on called Beyond Body Image, which is about like the intersections of racism and fat phobia and how that it needs to be a conversation as it relates to our dating lives. And also I had a panel called Dating While Disabled to help the disabled folks in the program answer their specific questions and also help the non-disabled folks in the program be better daters to the disabled folks in the program. So that's kind of like the package of what Date Better Bootcamp is. And if anybody wants to get on a wait list for that or a priority invite list for that, then they can just shoot me a DM on Instagram. Um, but I'll also be starting a membership, um, which will be, I think, $15 a month starting in the new year. So if you're hearing this, it's probably already started. It might not be publicly launched. It might just be private invites. So if you're curious to be part of a community where we have these conversations, it'll be more of a community-led thing. And then I'll hop in um, to answer questions once a week and um, have a live in there once a month. So if you want to be more part of the conversation of these things. Also send me a DM about that if you want to have more access to me and the bootcamp is not available right now or not on the table for you for whatever reason. So that's it for today's episode on queer dating or self-sabotage, whichever angle you prefer. Make sure to follow Ariella at Queer Dating Coach on Instagram. Also, you know what? It's almost my birthday. Yup, my birthday is in February. And you know what will be awesome is if you could go wherever you listen to your podcast and rate this podcast five stars. This will really help my podcast have more conversations like these and more opportunities, which is what we want. So please go wherever you listen to your podcast, rate it five stars and leave a review. Nah, really, like right now, it takes two seconds and it's for my birthday. <laughs> Before we leave, on production team, recording, editing and sound design by yours truly, myself, Yancy. Big shout outs to Lawrence from TGV Productions for the help on content editing. Special thanks to Jane P for her assistance on production. The official That's Exciting Anthem by Calder Nash. The amazing vocals on the track by Mel Pacifico. Some instrumentals and loops you hear throughout the episodes from Jude, aka Jude Experience. That's all for today's episode. I'm your host, Yancy. And until next week, stay curious, because that's exciting. That's exciting.